that's that was not that should not have been the case with with the saints, uh, especially after Christ having died and the veil being rent in the temple. We now, as members, have the ability to receive every word of God from God Himself. The veil is rent, and as members, we have all the rights and a power and authority and all those kind of things that that He claimed. Um, we can go directly to God. Um, and so the need to have someone do it for us is, is, a, is gone. Welcome back to Restore Gospel Podcast. We are friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you into that conversation. Shane, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, Mike? Doing good. I wanted to just start with a, a little recap of our last couple episodes we had with Doug, because we tackled a couple pretty heavy topics, in my opinion. Um, we talked about who is Jesus and who's the head of the church and we talked about Jesus's role as head of the church, um, who Jesus is in the Book of Mormon, and that he is God himself. And we talked about prophet and the role of prophet, and we showed where the church had, at least in a couple areas, had even said that Joseph Smith or the prophet is the head of the church. So those are some pretty heavy topics because they're, there's a lot of tradition there, and even though we may not say it out loud to ourselves, I think at least uh, in our minds or in our traditions, we we do look to a prophet as the leader, even though we say it's Jesus, that he holds high importance in the church for us and for the LDS um, as our tradition, right? Right. Yeah, you think about how many conversations over the years we've had as to who would be next? You know, we, how are we going to have a, a descendant of Joe Smith, you know, take up the, the reins and mm-hmm. it's, it's been kind of that underlying, maybe, maybe, you know, it's been a lot of years, so maybe people aren't discussing it, but it's, maybe it's kind of an underlying thought of what's going to happen next, you know? Well, early on, and I want to go through a couple of things. We, Shay, when you came on the first time, the first couple of times we said, we're going to take a look at restoration history, honestly. And that means that not always having all the answers, sometimes just presenting material for people to think about and discuss and take the Holy spirit as their guide to decide what truth is. But what we don't want to do is skip those hard areas or topics that we sometimes are shut down or aren't wanting to be talked about um, because they may portray either Joseph or the church or the priesthood or, or the way things went early on in a negative light. And looking at our history, honestly, does not mean we're, we're saying that the book of Mormon isn't true. Quite the opposite. I think it becomes more and more a miracle when you see something from heaven the work of heaven and then compare it to the work of man and how the work of man falls short. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I think it's, I, I don't think, I think it's a mistake to 
blindly defend uh, either a doc, either a doctrine or a, or a person um, without really being truthful about it. I was, while you were talking, I was thinking about a funeral that I attended. Um, it was a kind of a small one and it was a graveside uh, deal. And um, the, the, a, a lady had died, an elder, elderly lady had died and, and her children that were there was two kids there and they were talking about like their best experience with their, their parent, their mom, you know, and the, the guy, there was this guy, the son gave his testimony and he basically told about a time where he was kicking a ball up against the neighbor's house and like making a a loud noise and banging against the house. And the neighbor guy came out and yelling at him and, you know, stop kicking the ball against my house, you know, and with good reason. I mean, that, you know, it'd be frustrating. And, um, he talked about how his mom came out and she put this guy in his place and she screamed and hollered at him. And, and he went back inside with his tail between his legs, you know? And, and I remember I was thinking, I was like, that was your best story. That was, that was, you know, in my opinion, you were wrong. Your mom shouldn't have blindly defended you that because you were her son, she should have stood up for the truth and said, Hey, knock it off. You're, you know, you're possibly doing damage to this guy's house. And I know I think about that with the gospel. How many times have we come to the defense of, you know, people, Joseph Smith or or Sidney Rigdon or, you know, whoever the person might be. And are we really, are we coming to their defense because we've made a personal goal of defending them or are we truly standing for the truth? And I don't know, it's just the way, I guess it's the way of, the way of thinking. Right. Agreed. So I want to look today at, Uh, early revelation in the book of commandments and we can see it here Um, so this was given in march of 1829 and we're going to kind of look at i think there's a progression or there could be a progression in history we're going to lay out some documents some thoughts and people can decide for themselves but i think they are worth pondering This revelation was given to Joseph and Martin Harris, March of 1829. So the one on the left, don't pay attention to the one on the right. We're going to look at that. That's that's what was changed later on. But the one on the left um, talks about Martin Harris is wondering about Joseph and what he has. And so I'm just going to read what this revelation says, behold, I say unto you that my servant Martin has desired a witness from my hand that my servant Joseph has got the things of which he has testified and borne record that he has received of me. And now behold, this shall you say unto him, I, the Lord am God. And I have given these things unto my servant Joseph. And I have commanded him that he should stand as a witness of these things. Nevertheless, I have caused him that he should enter into a covenant with me, that he should show them, not show them, except I command him, and he has no power over them except I grant it unto him. And he has a gift to translate the book, and I have commanded him that he shall pretend to no other gift, for I will grant him no other gift. So this was in March of 1829. And the things, it's referring to things, I think, are the interpreters and, and the, the plates that Joseph was using to translate. 
so that's the book of commandments that was what we would say was the first revelation and then this is changed later on but you know the clear point here is martin's questioning god tells him this is joseph has these things this is his gift and the only gift i've given him and he you know he shouldn't pretend to any other gift for i will grant him no other gift so mike for clarification so this was given in march of 1829 mm-hmm. um, and it was carried it was put in the in the revelation book correct isn't that what they called it the revelation book yeah this is one of them where we actually the original copy isn't like the book of commandments there's actually the handwritten uh you could go to the joseph smith papers i had a slide of the actual handwriting. I couldn't find it in time for the broadcast. But if you go to Joseph Smith papers, you can put any of these phrases or words in um, and you can pull up the actual document and see the handwriting. And so this is what was published word for word in the book of commandments in 1833, right? Right. So this would have been the standing revelation to the church from 1829 to 1833, so four years, this stood as as scripture, basically given through the Urim and Thummim, correct? Yeah, through the interpreters, and based on the date and based on the actual revelation, this is before Martin Harris apparently has viewed the, I don't know the exact date the witnesses saw the golden plates, but Martin was wondering if Joseph really had them and he really had a gift to translate. And this is God's response. So this revelation would, Joseph had the interpreters during this time. He was still working on the book of Mormon. So that's kind of the time frame, 1829. This wasn't printed until 1833 when the book of commandments was printed as the first record of the revelations that they'd had up to that point. But this is early on. Yeah, and I guess the point that I was making is really just that it, it wasn't like it was written down and then, you know, a, a month later somebody looked at it again and said, oh, wait a minute, we, we said this wrong. We need to fix this, edit these comments or whatever. This stood as it is a- until it was actually published as the scriptures for the church through the Book of Commandments and even remained from there until 1835. Then it was altered in 1835, right? Yeah, good point. So this was printed, you know, four years after it was given. Um, and yeah. And then stood and for printed. two more years, right? Right. Yeah. So yeah, it was around for four years before it was printed. So anybody, you know, if it wanted to be changed or needed to be changed, certainly, certainly could have been changed. A mm-hmm. uh, lot of, there's a lot of interesting things on the Book of Commandments, but for a while it was kind of this idea that um you know it was kind of printed nefariously or quickly or maybe even a rogue thing or that joseph never had chance to to look at what was being printed but uh there's i think there's ample evidence now that that's not the case they they were in hiram ohio or kirtland ohio waiting uh for john whitmer and oliver to take them to independence and to print them and uh, i have some it's mentioned in church history anyway that they sent a copy back to the kirtland and had those there sydney and, and joseph review them and they only made four changes it was like in the 40th chapter and it was, it was just real small words that things that needed to be changed so so they had the approval and mm-hmm. uh even had 
volumes printed. So, you know, when they say paper was scattered in the streets, I don't know if that's like the second round of, of things being printed, but uh, David Whitmer had a book of the, the Book of Commandments before the press was destroyed. Of course, then yeah. they, they bound up more well, afterwards. I believe I, I believe I read somewhere that there was a couple little girls that went and gathered up all the little sheets that had blown around in the streets, and mm-hmm. they were able to come up with about 100 copies. By compiling them all together, they were able to get about a hundred complete copies, is what I remember reading somewhere. But yeah, it's a big topic because there's been a lot of written about it. But if you if you take a few simple source things, and we'll probably need to do that at some point in time, is just laying that information out. Uh, I wasn't even aware, but um, yeah, in church history, RLDS church history, there's several statements about them that they'd approved them and they've made they made the corrections. So. Interesting stuff. But anyway, so this is the original revelation. Uh, no other gift. So you could talk about what that means as a gift. Um, I guess that that's open to speculation. But in context here, it's, I think, God saying, I gave, you know, I've given him the power. He has the power from me. I'm giving him the power to translate, and he should be doing none other thing, for I'm not going to grant him any other thing. So, what, do you think the word, what do you think the word pretend means there? You think there's a, like, I mean, I know today we would use it as like faking or, or, you know, um, something not that's legitimate. A good, that's a good question. Cause I don't, we don't use that word really very often in that way. Um, right. I have commanded him that he shall pretend to no other gift. Um, yeah. The take on, what take on another task or something like that the god's right. telling you to do or assume maybe assume, assume or, or, or assume yeah i have to yeah. look that word up in the old 1830 dictionary maybe you can do yeah. that while we're going through here but yeah but it says after that for i will grant him no other gift so don't say that i've told you to do another task other than this or another mission because right. i'm not going to give you one yeah. Well, next slide. Uh, so go here. Oops. All right. So this is Book of Commandments 15. So that last one was March of, uh, of 1829. This is June of 1829. And this is to Oliver Cowdery. Book of Commandments 15. This is RLDS section 16 and LDS section 18. However the RLDS and LDS sections and the Doctrine and Covenants are different. We're, we're going to read the Book of Commandments uh, original revelation here. Now behold, because of the thing which you have desired to know of me, this is to Oliver Cowdery, I give unto you these words, Behold, I have manifested unto you by my Spirit in many instances that the things which you have written are true. So what would that be, Shane? The, Oliver was the scribe. And he was writing the Book of Mormon, right. right? Right. And so God says, I've manifested unto you by my spirit in many instances, the things which you have written are true. Wherefore, you know that they are true. And if you know that they are true, behold, I give unto you a commandment that you rely upon the things which are written. For in them are all things written concerning my church, my gospel, and my rock. 
Wherefore, you should build up my church and my gospel and my rock. The gates of hell shall not prevail against you. So, interestingly, this uh, that's quoting. Um, go back down here. Where else do we find that at? The Book of Mormon in First Nephi states, talking about the plates, or it says, Thy seed shall be destroyed and dwindled in unbelief, and also the seed of thy brethren. Behold, these things shall be hid up and come forth unto the Gentiles by the gift and power of the Lamb. So he's talking about the writings, and I pulled that scripture right out of the middle of the whole deal, but mm-hmm. he's talking about the writings of Lehi and his posterity, that they will be hid up and then come forth unto the Gentiles. And it says that in them shall be written my gospel, saith the Lamb, and my rock, and my salvation. So the Book of Mormon has those things, his gospel, his rock, and his salvation. So this original revelation is saying the same thing. June 1829, rely upon the things which are, which are written, the Book of Mormon. And here he quotes the Book of Mormon saying they concerning my gospel, they contain all things written concerning my gospel and my rock. Yeah. If if you rely upon these things, then the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. And if you build up my church on these things, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Right. So I looked up the 1828 Webster's definition of pretend. Okay. And, uh, it means to stretch or reach forward. It also means to hold out as a false appearance, to offer something feigned instead of that which is real. So I guess it means okay. the same thing we would we would take it as is creating something fake. So what do you think? I, I never really looked at that. Um, never really looked at that definition as far as context goes for that revelation what do you what do you think that means then when we're looking at the the wording in that revelation you should pretend to no other gift does that mean act like you have another gift uh false yeah, the, so sorry to interrupt you the other the other definition further down i didn't see this one is to make a claim and that probably fits better probably. making a claim that it's a, a, a that you have other gifts he's saying don't make that claim okay all right. Fair enough. Well, thank you. That's mm-hmm. it's always good to look up the words used in the dictionary at the time so that we can kind of gather the same meaning that, that they would have had right when they, right. when they were reading it. All right. So that was June of 1829. Now we're in 1830, April 6th. We all know that date, right? The day the church was quote, officially organized and this is in New York, Fayette, New York. So this is RLDS section 19 currently and LDS section 21 currently. So this revelation says, I got that cut off a little bit in there. Behold, there shall be a record kept among you and in it thou shalt be called a seer, a translator, a prophet, an apostle of Jesus Christ an elder of the church through the will of God, the father and the grace of your Lord, Jesus Christ. Okay. 
So this is uh, the day the church is organized. Right away, Joseph is giving a revelation that they should keep a record among them. And in that record, he's a seer, translator, prophet, apostle, elder. And it says to go on, being inspired of the Holy Ghost to lay the foundation thereof. He's talking about the church, right? The elder of the church. And he and didn't have he, the interpreters at this time, right? This was all just through him. I believe those were given back some time ago when the Book of Mormon was complete. Yeah. So being inspired of the Holy Ghost to lay the foundation thereof and to build it up, talking about the church, unto the most holy faith, which church was organized and established in the year of your Lord, 1830, in the fourth month and on the sixth day of the month, which is called April. Wherefore, meaning the church, thou shalt give heed unto all his words, talking about Joseph. Like So the church, the people in the church, thou shalt give heed unto all his words and commandments, which he shall give unto you as he receiveth them, walking in holiness before me. For his word, so that's Joseph Smith, ye shall receive as if from mine own mouth, in all patience and faith. For by doing these things, doing what things? Receiving the word that Joseph Smith is going to give them, the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. Yea, and the Lord will disperse the powers of darkness from before you and cause the heavens to shake for your good and his name's glory. So a couple of things here, Shane. What... What do you see that jumps out? Anything there jump out at you? Well, it doesn't really differentiate between revelation from God and things Joseph says. So mm -hmm. it sounds like he's basically telling them, you know, to just do everything he tells you, hold everything he says is revelation. And if you do it, then you'll be blessed. Otherwise you won't be if you, if you don't do it. Yeah, I underlined that phrase, for by doing these things, for by uh, receiving what Joseph tells you as the word of God, as if it's from his own mouth. There's a To me, it seems like, well, everything hinges. So there's a little bit of coercion there, which isn't, isn't unfamiliar in the scriptures. Oftentimes, God tells us, um, you know, if you do these things, you'll be blessed. If you don't, you'll be cursed or things to that nature. Um, but here he's saying, you know, if, if you do these things, the gates of hell won't prevail against you and I'll disperse the powers of darkness and cause the heavens to shake for your good. So that would mean if you don't accept what Joseph tells you, then, you know, there's chances for the powers of darkness to overwhelm you and for the gates of hell to prevail against you. That would be the opposite. Mm -hmm. So there's a big, um, push here. To keep a record, Joseph's given himself a number of titles here in this revelation. And to listen to what I say, because it's coming as if it's from the mouth of God. So this is a really pretty big, bold statement. Especially if you consider the previous revelation that we read in the Book of Commandments, where he says, pretend to no other gift. So is this pretending to another gift to to say that you're going to keep a book, a record. Um, 
And so what were the gifts that he had had up to that point to translate the book, right? Translate the Book of Mormon. And God gave him, gave him a, a large portion of his spirit and they operated as, as believers of, of Jesus. And so they had the gifts among them. So they had all the gifts and spiritual power uh, among the believers before they had organized anything. Um, so by after organizing now, all of a sudden he's called a seer, a translator, a prophet, an apostle. There's a lot of things there that are being attributed to him. I guess the things that thing that concerns me about it is for one thing, you know, like Moses, for example, could have, you could have said, well, he's similar to Moses where he gave the law and he told everyone what to do, where to go, how to live and all that. But the reality of that situation was that they, they had that happen because of their hardness of heart. They, the people were hard of heart and they could not, they did not want to go to God directly. They did not want to have a relationship with God. They, they feared him and, and they wanted Moses to, to go and be their mediator. Uh, that's, that was not, that should not have been the case with, with the saints, uh, especially after Christ having died and the veil being rent in the temple, we now as members have the ability to receive every word of God from God himself. The veil is rent. And as members, we have all the rights and a power and authority and all those kind of things that, that he claimed, um, we can go directly to God, um, and so the need to have someone do it for us is, is, a, is gone. Um, so that that's concerning that he said that everything he says, you follow him instead of saying, come to me. I want a relationship with you. He said, this is saying that God wants them to go to Joseph Smith and Joseph will tell them what everything they need. That's it. Yeah. And we've read the quotes from, from uh, a few episodes ago, but uh, as as David Whitmer wrote in his book, I think we talked about recently, uh, there were people being baptized, speaking the with the tongues of angels, prophesying. They said almost everyone that was baptized received that baptism of fire, or at least were showing the gifts of the Spirit at the time. So, yeah, this is a functioning, living, breathing church. And 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 as David Whitmer said, the church was organized before 1830 as far as operational and living you know, the gospel, they were teaching the doctrine of Christ, he said, that had been copied from the Book of Mormon, even though it wasn't, you know, back from the printer, they'd copied down the doctrine of Christ, had been told to do that. So the church was op operating and functioning with the gifts of the Spirit. And and now that we've officially organized this branch so that they could, you know, officiate in marriage and be recognized by the state as a church, I don't think that in and of itself is wrong, but but all of a sudden it seems to be more than that because at this organizational meeting, why all of a sudden is there a need for them to keep a record in which there will be a, a prophet, you know, the prophet, only one person put revelations into that book, right? It was Joseph's word and he's the one to give it as right from the Lord's mouth. So right. I think, I think we're seeing a change here. From those well, previous and, revelations, go ahead. Yeah, and and kind of elaborating on what you said about David Whitmer, you know, it wasn't like they were just having a study group, and God said, "Okay, now you're now it's ready to become the church." I mean, they they had three congregations, they had seventy plus baptized members, they had men that had been set apart by the Holy Spirit to serve as priesthood, they had elders, priests, and teachers, 
you know, so they were functioning as the Book of Mormon shows the church should function. So why the, why the organ, why the new organization, why the new stuff being added? It, it seems like they had everything that, that they had in the new Testament and everything that they had in the Book of Mormon was fully in place and functioning and God's spirit was with them. And the fact that God's spirit was with them and they were seeing healings and all that, that tells you right there that they were doing God's will because there wouldn't be any signs if they weren't believers. Yeah. Why this, why this revelation on this day that the church is officially organized? It's, it seems to be more than just, well, we need to be able to perform, you know, the things that the laws of the land recognize, such as marriages, uh, so that we have to have an official standing recognized by the government. It seems to be a lot more than that because now you've, you've just said that, that there's a person that will, give you the will of God as if it's from his own mouth. That's, right. that's interesting that that, that that was a part of the organization on that day. Why? And that's the well, question. You don't, you don't see this level of organization in the book of Mormon church, you know, as far as clearly defined um, positions and duties and, and everything that got laid out over the years, you know, the people in the book of Mormon, if you do a study on it and you look at all the different priesthood offices, for example, or, or priesthood functions, I mean, their baptism was sometimes done in different ways. Uh, I mean, Alma baptized himself. Uh, some men had hands laid on him to receive the Holy Ghost. Some the Holy Ghost just descended upon them. Um, there really was not this formality that we have sort of got in place at, you know, over the years uh, as things have, have formed. Um it seems like we've kind of pushed the Holy spirit out so that it could have this sort of formal organizational structure that makes us feel safe. But really if we were, if we were all relying on the Holy spirit to be our guide, uh, I think we'd be very surprised at what even our church services would look like. It's a huge shift in thinking uh, because even when you shift your, you're thinking a little bit and say, well, what, what did it look like? You're still bringing in what you currently know now. The, I mean, the common denominator wasn't so much priesthood offices. The common denominator was that the Holy Ghost was present. And whether you, like you said, had lay hands laid on you or it descended on you or you were baptized in the water and you came out and it was given to you. I mean, the thing that is the same across the board was that there were signs of the believers. And I really, I think, think I, I was had a conversation today with a, a good friend about having order in the church and having ways to have order and not chaos and i i agree god you know even, even when we pray we're supposed to pray one at a time so that we can all be edified right where there's not you've, you've seen those services where people are all praying at once and you can't hear one person over the other and there's just no no wisdom in that that god is a god of order mm -hmm. but if the presence of the Holy Spirit really is there among each member, I think that in and of itself could bring order that you really, you don't need more order than that. And that's really hard for us to understand because it's just not how we do things right. in business in the way our businesses function, the way our churches function, the way our court system function. Uh, so it's, it's a really different, but you're right. The book of Mormon almost has a lack of, I guess, rules <laughs> and, and maybe for a purpose. Yeah. Not that there's something missing. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, 
let's look at uh so we read there that, that now there's a person set up to receive words as if from God's own mouth. So here on the left, that's prior to the church organized. We already read this revelation about Joseph having one gift and that he won't be granted any other gift. That was in 1829. Well, here the church is organized in 1830. Um and the Book of Commandments was printed in 1833, but look at 1835 when it's reprinted and called the Doctrine and Covenants. Look at how this revelation's changed. Well, and see, and I, Mike, I, I see this dishonest. I mean, you look at this and you say, they've labeled that as revelation given March of 1829, but that's not what was given in 1829. It, right. Th there's, there's whole other sentences and paragraphs added you know, in 1835. So I, I don't see how we can say it's given in 1829. I, I think sometimes we see the date and we think, Oh, well that was early on. You know, that's, that's solid that they had the Urim and Thummim clear back then, <laughs> you know, but then you, when you, when you look at what, you know, the, when you look at the paper trail, you find out, yeah. no, this has been, this thing's been manipulated and changed many, many times. <laughs> and I know people have gone over this, but it does, you have to look at it and, and it should be gone over many times. You're right. That, that really should say at the top revelation given March, 1829 um, changed and edited in 1835, you know, in the second printing, because this yeah. is, it's not just a few words of this and thus, you know, being changed, but, but look is what has changed here. Mm -hmm. um, I have caused that you should enter into a covenant with me that you should not show them except to those persons to whom I command you. And you have no power over them except I grant it unto you. And you have a gift to translate the plates. And this is the first gift that I bestowed upon you. And I have commanded that you should pretend to no other gift until my purpose is fulfilled in this. For I will grant you grant unto you no other gift until it is finished. So you see the difference there? Yeah, it's a totally opposite demeaning. The first well, one said now, you're going to you do just this and nothing else. Right. So the original is given as the Book of Mormon is being translated, told that you'll have no other gift. But since that time, there's been a church organized, and in that organization, you've given a revelation that 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 you're going to keep a record, and that that record, you know, you're going to be a prophet translator apostle elder and that you're going to give with words even as they're from god's own lips that is a huge bold statement and now you have this revelation that it's like well it says god won't give me any other gift well let's just add until until the plates are done and you change that revelation how i mean i don't know how you can say that that isn't dishonest unless you come up with the idea that it was printed incorrectly the first time. And if it was how and why, I mean, it's not the a commas out of place or that a wrong word was used, but you're adding words that change the sentence structure and meaning of the whole entire gist of the, of the paragraph. Right. Yeah. And so, I wonder, you know, the, those that were there and part of it and, and, and was, you know, were there when that original revelation was given and then saw what came out in 1835. I, I just wonder how they look at that and say, the first one was a revelation from God. And now this is also a revelation from God. It's the same revelation given in 1839 or 1829. 
but obviously it's not the same revelation given 1829. So did God make a mistake the first time? You know, did they just copy a few things down wrong? I mean, because it's changing the meaning to the opposite, one says you will not do anything else but this. And the next one says you're going to do this and then you're going to do a bunch of other stuff. When I tell you, you know, it, it just, I just don't see how anyone could look at this and say, you know, this is a natural thing. Right. And you have, yeah. Well, you yeah. have the testimony of David Whitmer that says, I was there when the original was given and I know that it was changed. I know that this, so he, he, he says, I was, I was there. I know what was given. I know how it was said. And I was one of the people, and it may not be about this revelation, but another very significant one. And he said, and I see what it was changed to. And I know that that's not, not what it was because I was there. I was there in real time. Right. So you know that this kind of thing was going, going on. Well, let's, let's look at the next one here. So here was the book of commandments, 15 RLDS 16 LDS 18. Remember this was June of 1829. Then the church was organized. And this is the one that quotes the book of Mormon saying, I give unto you a commandment that you rely upon the things which are written right? Oliver Cowdery, for in them are things written concerning my church, my gospel, and my rock. Wherefore, if you shall build up my church and my gospel and my rock, the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. So he's saying in the Book of Mormon, it's written and build it up, build up what's written, how it's written. After the church is organized, now we read this and it says, I give unto you a commandment, that you rely upon the things which are written, for in them are all things written concerning, and here's a huge addition, the foundation of my church, my gospel, and my rock. Wherefore, if you shall build up my church upon the foundation of my gospel and my rock, the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. And what did Joseph give on the day the church was organized? He told the people, Rely upon the words Joseph tells you, and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Not rely upon the Book of Mormon. He completely inserted himself over and above, even using the same language. Right, The gates of hell prevailing will rely on the words he gives you, not the rock and foundation in the Book of Mormon. Mm -hmm. So by saying that, build up upon the foundation of my church instead of saying, build upon my church and my gospel that's in the Book of Mormon. It's like it's it's just this foundational, and there's a bunch of other things that need to be built up on, on top of it, and I'm going to give you the words of God from his own lips and tell you how to do that. Right. Well, yeah, so by saying that it's a foundation, that really opened up a, a whole new pathway. You could pretty much do whatever you want after that because you've created that. You've got that precedence to say that there's going to be more. Mm-hmm. It's like the Book of Mormon's just the primer, the first volume, the the basic, uh, you know, the the simple simple gospel for the simpletons, and now we're going to add a lot more to it. It's going to give you all kinds of other experiences, and you just you're told in one to rely on the Book of Mormon, and the other you're told that that's just a foundation to build upon, and and in new revelation, you're told to rely on the new revelations so that the gates of hell don't prevail as opposed to the Book of Mormon. And it's interesting, the same language is used there. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and you, um, I don't know if you have a, I don't know if you've got these scriptures coming, but you know, there's, there's a couple, couple different spots in the book of Mormon that says, you know, that it lays out what the simple gospel is and says anything more or less than this is not of me. You know, so adding, adding to it is not cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, also I, I did put in little red letters down there. I, uh, thanks to Hemlock Knots. That's a website, Hemlock Knots, where you can go and use study tools and those study tools, you can compare like five different versions of the doctrine and covenant, starting with the very first one, which was the book of commandments and then later editions. So that's, that's where these are coming from. It's, I'm thankful for whoever took the time to put those up. So it's a good resource if you want to study on your own some of the differences. All right. So in First Nephi, we have that. I'm, I'm pulling out this scripture. Uh, so I just wanted to put on the top, you know, many stumble, things are removed. We know that, you know, the, the, the Bible went through the great and abominable church. After that, it says, Behold, saith the Lamb, I will manifest myself unto thy seed. They shall write many things which I shall minister unto them, which shall be plain and precious. And after that thy seed be destroyed and dwindle in unbelief, the seed of thy brethren, behold, these things shall be hid up and come forth unto the Gentiles by the gift and power of the Lamb. And I read this earlier. And in them shall be written my gospel, saith the Lamb, and my rock and my salvation. So I think you have a choice here. Shane and uh, or don't you? Is it, I don't want to. I want to look at this honestly, but if if the Book of Mormon itself says what is in it, and that that's what you rely on, and then that's changed to just be a foundational thing, and you say I'm going to give you other things right from God's mouth, and you have to rely on these things in order for hell not to prevail. That's a completely different mindset, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, one and, just it allows for it allows for stuff to be changed, and you know, if you if you hold the Book of Mormon as a standard, and you hold others to compare to it or to hold up against it, you've got to call it out. It's not it's not truth. Let's read on. Um, I forget what this this one was from. Okay, so this is this is uh, reading on. This is from the Doctrine of Covenants. I th- I I don't have the section up here. You can Google it, any of those words, and find it. But I want to read what what this revelation says. Oh, this is nineteen. This is RLDS nineteen, and I think it's twenty one in the LDS. I lost the heading here, so. For thus saith the Lord God, and this is in uh, this is after the church is organized. Uh, thus saith the Lord God, Him have I inspired to move the cause of Zion in mighty prayer for good, and His diligence I know, and His prayers I have heard. He's talking about Joseph Smith. Yea, His weeping for Zion I have seen, and I will cause that He shall mourn for her no longer, for His days of rejoicing are come unto the remission of His sins and the manifestations of my blessings upon his works. For behold, I will bless all those who labor in my vineyard with a mighty blessing, and they shall believe on his words, Joseph, which are given him through me by the Comforter, which manifesteth that Jesus was crucified by sinful men for the sins of the world, 
yea, for the remissions of sins unto the contrite heart. So this is just uh, more of that earlier revelation um, where it says, I'll give him the words as if from my own mouth, that, that you're to rely on these words and believe on his words. All right, so moving on, this is in June of 1830. So the, the church is organized April. This is June, and this is uh, Section 22 in the RLDS DNC, and it's been one of my favorites. And then it's, it's called the Book of Moses for the LDS. Um, and this is a revelation Joseph received that Moses had received that was removed and we'll see here where it says that, but it says, I have a work. So this is God speaking to Moses. I have a work for thee, Moses, my son. And thou art in the similitude of mine only begotten. And my only begotten is and shall be the savior for he is full of grace and truth. And I just included another scripture from this uh, section 22, because it's one of my favorites there. There is no end to my works, neither to my words, for this is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. I'm sure, Shane, in your sermons and in sharing the gospel with people, you've quoted that yourself. That's, that's one that I quote a lot to, to show what is God's work and glory, to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. Yep. And reading on in this revelation, and in a day when the children of men shall esteem my words as naught, and take many of them from the book which you shall write, speaking to Moses, behold, I will raise up another like unto you. So I would say that was Joseph Smith in this context. And they shall be had again among the children of men, among even as many as shall believe. Okay. So that's what he says. I will raise up another like unto you. That's comparing Joseph Smith to Moses because he's the one that gave them again to the children of men. Is that, am I reading that correctly? Yeah. I mean, typically when scriptures compare someone like unto Moses, it's usually talking about Jesus coming um, and being, it's Jesus being like unto Moses, mm -hmm. uh, you know, being that prophet that should be right. I think first Nephi three, I think uh, talks about that pro that great prophet that will come in the meridian of time. But in this situation, yeah, yeah in this situation, it, it was through Joseph Smith that uh, that the sayings are had among the children of men. And I know that um, at the beginning, he says that Moses or God's telling Moses, thou art in the similitude of mine only begotten. Mm -hmm. And my only begotten is and shall be the savior. Well, I know there's a lot of similarities between Moses and leading people under the law. Um, leading them to freedom uh, as a type and shadow of what Christ would do for us to free us from our sin. Um, you know, going through the waters, the Red Sea, you know, could be compared to baptism. Um, so there's different things there. But I, I did just want to make a note here that this in this revelation, there is a phrase that says, I will raise up another like unto you. And, the, and these words will be had again among the children of men. So, you know, that's Joseph receiving this revelation, and in it, apparently, he is being compared to Moses. And it says, These words were spoken unto Moses in the mount, the name of which shall not be known among the children of men. And now they are spoken unto you, 
amen. And I put in Joseph Smith there because I don't know what else would fit there. Now they are spoken unto you, right? He just received. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, it's interesting that in that same scripture, Moses is compared to Jesus, you know, in the similitude of his only begotten. And then Joseph is also compared to Moses. Right. Which by default to Jesus. So. Yeah, that's the, seems to be the logical connection. Um, I wanted to show one thing though. When you go back and read the original revelation, and this is hard to see here, um, but instead of reading the transcript, I wanted to show you that you re it really is here. At the end of this revelation, and this is uh, the original handwritten copy, they said that this was probably in Emma's handwriting. Emma, Oliver, a couple other people wrote trans or were the scribes for the inspired uh, what we call the inspired version, or for this section of the Old Testament, I should say. But it says at the end, show these not unto any unless they believe, shall believe. Amen. That's removed from the doctrine for from section 22. So God gave this to Joseph, and at the very end, the last thing written was, show these not unto any, except they shall believe. Hmm. So why is it printed in a book for the world to read, number one? I don't know. Right. That's not the first time that's happened. They've been told to that this is for, you know, not to print it or show it to the world, and they do. But I, I was surprised to see that. I went back to actually read the original to make sure that it was <laughs> that we had copies of it. Number one, it's pretty cool that you can see it. Mm -hmm. But then to see this at the end, I was reading it in the in the, the transcribe. That's a lot easier. The words and I read that like, whoa, that's that doesn't sound familiar. And I went back and looked at the section, and it's not in there. But but here it is. I wanted to make sure it was actually written that way, and it is. So. Yeah. So if it was revelation from God, why would we leave off part of it? Well, because. <laughs> I guess because you're showing it to everybody that's reading it, so it wouldn't <laughs> kind of be self self-incriminating. <laughs> yeah. All right. Just I just put this scripture in there because the boy, I hear a bad echo, Shane. Can you hear that? No, I don't hear anything. It just comes and goes. Okay. The reason that we have this idea that things um, are removed is just. I just put the scripture in from first Nephi and it's just talking about the book that goes forth and comes through the hands of the abominable church and the, the Gentiles, you know, stumble because I already read that because things were taken out. One other okay. thing, Mike, one other thing I was going to mention was um, that section there that you just read about where it said that not to be shown to unbelievers. Mm -hmm. um, I believe wasn't the uh, book of commandments, uh, commanded at one point not to share those revelations with, with the world. And, and there was some controversy among the brethren about whether or not to print them or print them or not. And was it David Whitmer that said uh, that he was upset about them printing them and yeah, they, they disregarded him. Yeah. Um, teacher in Zion or Doug Hatton just released a three part series on David Whitmer, where he talks about the address to believers and he talks about that in there. But yeah, Joseph, or, uh, David opposed Joseph, and it was pretty 
it got pretty harsh, whereas Joseph even prophesied, it says, anyone that opposes the printing of these revelations won't have eternal life or something to that effect, uh, lose their salvation. So he pulled out the the prophet warning card, don't oppose me, you know, don't oppose what I'm telling you to do, which is, I mean, that's, David speaks about that in his book, but he, he also says, you know, that he loved Joseph. He didn't hold any harsh feelings towards him and that Joseph continued to love him. Even unbeknownst to David, Joseph placed his hands on David's head and named him successor as prophet, seer, and revelator of the church. And that mm -hmm. if anything happened to Joseph, David was to take over. So David used that. He said, I had no idea he was going to do that, nor do I believe in that office. And that's why people came to me when Joseph was killed, telling me to take my, you know, would I take my place at the church? And he said, no, I don't, I don't turn, I don't, I don't hold to that idea that there's a one prophet over the church, but that's why people, you know, thought that he had credentials to do that because Joseph had at one time done that and people had known about it. So that's side note anyway, but. Yeah. And wasn't the, the I know there was a Whitmerite church, um, but the Whitmerites, they, I don't believe he accepted that position of prophet of that church, right? No, he just, he just said he was an elder and he had authority from God because he was ordained to that elder and he rec you know, people recognized that authority and that's, that's all he held to. And they had a, he had a church called, I think it was just called the church of Christ. Uh, but he never, he never joined back with any other group. He just worshiped God with, you know, the priesthood he'd been given and, and as a member believing in the book of Mormon, as far as I know. Yeah. But um, so what's the implications of, what's the implications of um, what we went through here, here, there's this, it seems to be there's there's a progression that number one um, God early on he has a revelation you know when when he had the interpreters that says don't have any other gift I won't give you any other gift and then that changes to the day the church is organized. I need you to keep a book. There's going to be one spokesman. He's going to give you the words right from my mouth. Um, there's a change from the Book of Mormon contains the, the rock, and the gospel, and the salvation to it's just a foundation, which, which by changing that then allows for Joseph to receive additional information from God. Uh, you know, we get new ordinances and priesthood offices and things like that afterwards. And then you have, uh, you have, this revelation from God that supposedly was given to Moses. And in that he's compared to one like Moses and that he's restoring word that had been removed. But the book of Mormon says that its purpose was to restore what was removed um, mm -hmm. because of the great and abominable church. And it doesn't mean that they both couldn't do that, but I think these are things to consider because of what comes down the road later. This is just the foundational beginnings. And it was very early on from, from day one, this revelation. Right now, now combine that with what we talked about with Doug later on that, 
uh, Revelation continues where it says no one else is to give, once again, no one else is to give commandments or revelations to the church other than Joseph, and you should not oppose him. And again, that's one one mouthpiece for God. So and that was and that was given to Oliver, right? Who who probably was his biggest threat or you know had maybe had the most sway besides Joseph as far as people following. Right. Yeah, putting he so he, it put Oliver in his place, you know, and said, Don't don't try to be the prophet, I'm the prophet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, so that's that's all I had for today. Uh, I just wanted to kind of put a capstone on what we've talked about the last couple of weeks, um, kind of give a summary. Go to Hemlock Knots if you want and compare some of the earlier revelations. But these are two that you just see um, as things progress, you had to go back and kind of change the original idea of what God was doing, the original revelation, so that you could continue on on your journey because things were changing rapidly. Uh, so much so that, you know, the first printing had to be, had to be redone. We had to cross out some things and add some things so that what we're doing can be justified and not going against what God originally gave us as a revelations. Well, I think too, as a kind of a summary of where we've been, I think another thing we need to mention is, is what the church is, you know, that it, that the church itself is, the true believers that have made covenant with God. It's not, it's not an organization. It's not a building. It's, it's the believers of Christ. And that's pretty, that's very laid out very clearly many, many, many times in the book of Mormon that they were called the church of, they were called the church of Christ because they had, they had made covenant with him. They had repented of their sins, baptized by the Holy ghost and by water. And, and now they were enduring to the end and they were called the church. Um, and so I think that's important too that we 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 stay on focus. We're not, you know, and I think I think I can speak for Mike here as well that we're not trying to necessarily shoot down any organization. We're just trying to show that the Lord, the Lord's people, those that are humble and righteous and and full of love, and are seeking the truth and responding to God's Holy Spirit, that is the church. And it really has nothing to do with the, you know, the, the organizational body in which you attend or, or who ordained you or who baptized you or anything like that. It's, it's about authority. It's about the love of God, the power of God working with man. Yeah. The body of Christ, not, not in, I know we switch that in our mind a lot. When we say church, we, we picture a functioning business structure organization, mm-hmm. but really it's good to always remind ourselves it's the believers, it's the body that are the church. All right. Well, so going forward, um, I wanted to point out Shane's doing a work on his YouTube channel, Restoration Believer. You can type that in on YouTube and find it. He's recording the Book of Mormon uh audio and adding visual to it, you know, pictures and animations, things like that. So Shane, you can talk about that if you want, and then we'll see how we're going to incorporate that here. Um, well, I was, it, I started out just kind of doing this selfishly. I, I wanted to have the RCE edition uh, available in audio um, just to like to listen to, to go to sleep or, you know, just, just to be able to listen to. There's times where you don't want to hear 
people's opinions. You just want to hear the scriptures themselves. And, and so um, I started recording it, um, laying down the, just the track of it. And then I thought, well, I'll do it on YouTube. And then that way it's available for whoever. And, and we'll throw some pictures on there too. And, you know, I, the first few, I've got the first three chapters done of first Nephi and they take a long time. So probably the future ones, I won't use quite as many pictures, but um, you know, it's, I think it'd be, it's, I know for me personally, just listening to it, I've had insights um, hearing it audibly, even though it's my own voice, hearing it audibly sometimes makes you think about it differently or you hear it in a different way. So it's been a good, good way to meditate. Yeah. Yeah. And on our, on our YouTube channel, restore gospel podcast, we, we do have all the audio of the book of Mormon, but they're recorded uh, a long time ago. Um, you know, there's, it's not, it's still pretty good quality, but it's not the greatest quality. There's there's some little bit of a hiss and noise there, but it's good. But Shane has a pleasing voice. I I, I think it's it's easy on the ears, Shane. Your voice is so so tender. <laughs> <laughs> My wife says you have a good a good pleasing radio voice uh, as you were narrating some things. But also, you know, maybe your kids would enjoy. You know, if there's younger people, enjoy looking at the the video, the pictures and things as they're listening to the Book of Mormon. So it could be a good tool there for them. But and for adults, if you don't have time to watch, you can put it on in your car and just listen to the audio being read. Uh, and it's good quality. But as as Shane's going back through and, and rereading the Book of Mormon to do this, I said, why don't we just start looking at the doctrine and the things that are being taught as we continue on our journey to grow and to try to come away from certain traditions and things and look strictly at what the book of Mormon says first and foremost, and make sure that we are believing what the gospel says, um, that we will use that as some of our broadcasts and we'll still be looking at history and other things. But to be honest, these shows we're doing are taking more time to research and things, and it's hard to put one out every week. And so we will have weekly broadcasts, but a lot of it is going to be starting at the beginning of the Book of Mormon and seeing what the Lord has given us in those those beautiful pages. Anything well, you want to add? Yeah, and I think, too, we want to focus on the good news. I mean, the good news is is Christ and what he's done for us and the way the way the way back to him is now is available. And and not only is it available, but it's made so clear and simple in the Book of Mormon. And so by be, by focusing on sort of the more positive aspects of the, the truth, the gospel, uh, hopefully that'll be, um, you know, ministering to people. And, you know, we don't want to be thought of as just focusing on the mistakes that were made and uh, by you know, our forefathers, but rather uh, focusing on, on what God has done for us. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, uh, I mean, to not mince words, it's like the Book of Mormon was printed the church was organized and on the day the church is organized, it's like, you're going to keep another book and I'm going to give you the words and it's, it's going to build on the foundation that you already had. But I don't see a lot of focus from the early church on sermons or doctrine or expounding on what the book of Mormon said. It's like they held it up as a divine book, but I don't see where they were using that as the, the main source of their word to preach it, it seemed like from the get-go that that was not the focus. It was other things and continued revelation and and building, you know, temple and Zion and things like that. 
and not saying none of those things are may necessarily be bad. They're, they're talked about in the Book of Mormon, uh, the New Jerusalem. But where was the focus of teaching this great gift that had just been given? That was the rock and the found you know, the the rock and the salvation and the gospel. Uh, I don't know that that was ever really the focus, and so I think well, it would be great to focus on yeah, that. And, yeah, and and taking it, learning it well enough, and understanding it well enough, and walking in in the spirit enough to where we could take it to these Native Americans that are on these. Here they are on these reservations. They have no idea what their history is all about. They have no idea the covenants that they can claim. You know, they have no idea that they're on this sacred land that God has given. You know, and they're just, you know, they're even, I mean, even today, you've, you've got so many people that are just lost, lost in alcoholism and, and poverty and just this deep unhappiness. And here we are sitting here with this beautiful message for them. And we've built up this church organization and we turn it into a Gentile church and we totally missed the purpose of the Book of Mormon and this gospel being restored uh, to us as the Gentiles. Yeah. Um, one other thing just to note in, as in my conversation with my friend today, um, like I could talk with my close friends, you know, you Shane or, and talk about, honestly and openly the history of the church without lifting and maybe we don't say it enough without lifting myself up or feel like I'm looking down on Joseph or any of the early uh, church people uh, because they're, they're just people, they're men. And sometimes things are good and of God and sometimes they're not. And people make mistakes. I'm not, I don't want to judge them, but we have to I'd be able, I'll be allowed to look at our history and point out where things maybe weren't, in, in, in hindsight, as we've said before, a lot easier than in real time uh, in order to see where things are off that we can more clearly focus on on the right, on the brightness. And you said something the other day, Shane, about if Joseph did get off and did some things that, you know, maybe on his own strength and not of God, I think the people, the saints are culpable, too, because it's like they wanted a prophet. They wanted a leader, just like you said, the Israelites. And what kind of challenge and temptation would that be when everybody's looking to you to lead and to, to be a leader and to be a prophet? And, you know, when they wanted kings, they said, no, that's not the best thing, but that's what the people wanted. So God gave them kings. If, if the people wanted, quote, the prophet to lead the church instead of, you know, Christ as the head, but to put a prophet in as the head of the church to give the words, if that's what they wanted, then that's that's what they got rather than mm -hmm. that's so. what they got, and they and they suffered just like the children of Israel suffered when they, you know, because they chose that that harder law, they ended up suffering, you know, wandering in the desert for 40 years, having to eat manna every single day for 40 years for every meal, you know, getting bit by the snakes and having to look up and to survive at looking at the brazen serpent. I mean, all the things that they suffered were only because of their hardness of heart. And so you look at us today and you, you think, well, are we suffering? Are we, are we split apart? And are we, you know, seeking and searching for truth? And not to say we're suffering like that, like the Israelites suffered in the wilderness, but we are in a wilderness of sorts, especially those of us that are, you know, in the restoration branches, we've, you know, we haven't had a, an organized body for quite a while, quite a while. And so it feels like suffering, but the reality of it is, is we're suffering because of our own failures, because of our own desire to trust in man instead of 
having a relationship with God. And, um, you know, I think that's really kind of the point of the, the, the 10 virgin story, you know, is that those five foolish, they didn't have their oil and they thought that they could borrow it from the other five and they just couldn't. We all have to have that walk. We all have to be, you have to be the church. I have to be the church. Every listener on here has to be the church. That's the church is the people, the people that are righteous and serving God. And if we don't, if we think that we're going to jump on some boat of some congregation or some organized group, whether it's LDS or RLDS or COC or whatever, and ride that, ride that ship across the sea, we're, we're just not going to be able to do that. We have to have a walk with him. And I think, you know, brother Joseph and, and all those that, you know, in those early days, they learned it the hard way. They trusted in the arm of flesh and they suffered. They were killed. They were stuck. They were tarred and feathered and run out of every town they ever lived in. You know, I mean, talk about having your name had for good and evil. They definitely had that. And I, and I yeah. think it's because they, they didn't have that relationship, personal relationship with God they needed to have. Yeah. Driving across upper Missouri this just yesterday, coming back from Michigan, uh, we drove through Hannibal and Quincy, Illinois is not far from there. And I had remembered, you know, Quincy in history. And I looked it up as we were on the road. Uh, there's a museum there now. And in that museum, there's a room that the Latter-day Saints have have put up there for the townspeople of Quincy. Quincy was a town that had, you know, 1,500 people. And when the, when the Saints were kicked out of Missouri, they went across the river to Quincy, and they, those people took them in. 5,000 saints, a town of 1,500 people. They let them live in their houses and clothed them and fed them in the cold of winter. It was the harshest time for the saints, uh, is what I read in the history. That winter, that cold winter, having no clothes and homes and everything taken from you. And I thought, what a tragedy. It's a tragedy that I grew up thinking— what, what a thing those people suffered for the truth and for the Lord. But the tragedy is they were suffering because many had given everything to follow a man and the revelations of, of the church that were being given and different concepts, and they were suffering for it. Um, I always wondered why, why would God allow people you know, give people commandments and then allow those things not to be fulfilled. We could say, well, it's because of sin, but perhaps the commandments weren't from God. Maybe they were from man. I mean, if those yeah. were the Lord's people and they were doing what they, what the Lord commanded them, you know, would they, would they be, you know, run from place to place to place to place? And uh, the Israelites right. were kicked out of Jerusalem when they failed to keep the commandments um yeah the scriptures clearly say that that the lord's people will suffer persecution so it's it's not that everything's going to be rosy and, and rainbows if if you're righteous you're still going to suffer you're still going to have to to go through the, that fire but you look back at at the original church as it was established uh, prior to 1830 where it was functioning in the three branches and the 70 74 members or whatever it was you know david whitmer's comment was that they were full of love. They were full of love. The spirit of God was there. They were speaking in tongues. They were having visitations by angels. They were healing sick. They were happy. They weren't being run out. They weren't being tarred and feathered. They weren't being having their homes stolen and, and all the other things that happened. 
they were happy and full of love. And I just kind of wonder, had they just continued on that course, raising their children in righteousness, preaching the gospel and showing love to their neighbors and not threatening anybody that they're going to take their land and it's going to be our inheritance for Zion and anything like that, just, just showing love, you know, bearing the love of God, love of Christ in their countenance makes you wonder how things would have turned out if they'd have done it that way. And then, you know, and educated themselves on the doctrine or on the book of Mormon, you know, built up their knowledge, built up their wisdom and their understanding, and then taken that to the native Americans who were, who were so desperate, you know, for, for survival as we, as they got run off their land and everything else, we, we could have been a, a, a real balm, a real comfort to them, bringing them the, the true gospel. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's not over with it. it obviously everything that's happening is fulfilling prop is all fulfillment of prophecy. But at some point we're going to have to wake up. We're going to wake up and say, okay, we've been doing this wrong. So what do we need to do? And I think that's what kind of what's happening. And we're going back to the book of Mormon. We're saying, all right, here it is. The pure gospel, full, fullness of the gospel in its simplest, truest form. No more, no less. Let's just do what it says. And I think that's kind of where we're going with this series is we're going to look at that true, simple gospel chapter by chapter and break it down on where we need to be. Yeah. And I, I don't know where we'll end up before Jesus coming back. If, uh, But I think studying the word of God, who he is and his gospel in the Book of Mormon is a, is a good step for anyone to get your heart right and to help change who you are. And hopefully we can have those, that happy, uh, those happy hearts and love for one another that, that the early saints had even before they were in official church. And, and we can have that today if we face and fo- focus on the doctrine of Christ contained in his word that he, that he restored to us. So, all right. Well, thanks you, Shane, for your time again. Appreciate yeah. you being here. Remember, we're all walking each other home. So be kind to one another until next time. God bless. Take care.